0: You have a Bible with you, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 26 this evening. Matthew chapter 26, and I'm going to read from verses 17 to 30. Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. On the first day of the um, Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It's the night of um, Jesus' betrayal and the night before his death. <clears throat> In this passage, uh, we see the instigation of the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> of what we refer to as the Lord's table as communion, as the Eucharist. And this ancient practice that's been repeated in the church down the ages over the past 2,000 years is birthed right here at this table the night before Jesus' death. This is where it all started. What we will do tonight started here with Jesus and his disciples And we'll be taking communion after this message. And in this message, we'll be looking at how it all started, what it all means, and why we take this bread and wine, what this sacrament is all about. So we have the instigation of the Lord's Supper. What is Jesus doing? What is the significance of this supper? And we'll think tonight about three things. We'll think of a new custom that Jesus was initiating, a new community. And a new covenant. First of all, Jesus was initiating here a new custom. It's the feast of Passover in Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover meal together. This is a custom that goes back over 1,500 years and finds its origin in the deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt under the leadership of Moses The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and God sent Moses to Pharaoh with the command, let my people go. And Pharaoh refused, and there follows a series of plagues on Egypt, culminating in the plague on the firstborn son in every household. The Israelites are instructed to slaughter a lamb and to daub the doorposts of their houses with the blood of the lamb, to protect them from this plague. And in Exodus chapter 12, we read, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord and the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And then in, further on in Exodus chapter 12, verses 24 onwards, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony, this custom follow it. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when, we, when he struck down the Egyptians. And this is what they did. For 1,500 years, they celebrated the Passover meal. And the deliverance of Israel from Egypt by God's supernatural intervention at the Passover. This was their custom. This was the custom of the meal that Jesus was having with his disciples that evening. The head of the household would lead them through the meal with four stages to it. They would eat lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread, and they would share wine with four different cups. And the Passover meal was so rich in symbolism, and it was an ancient custom to retell a story, the story of the Passover, to each new generation. So each new generation would see it and hear it and feel it and taste it in a tangible way, in a sacrament, a tangible representation of a spiritual reality. And the unleavened bread was equated in the meal, the Passover meal, with the bread of affliction because it reminded them of their persecution in Egypt as a people under Pharaoh, as mentioned in Deuteronomy 16. Do not eat it, this bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt." So we have a a custom here that's an ancient custom that's been followed for 1,500 years by the people of Israel. And Jesus takes this ancient custom and he instigates on this evening that we've read about a new custom, a new commemoration. And and taking the bread of of the, the meal, the Passover meal, and the wine to symbolize a new deliverance, the deliverance of people from their slavery to sin, Uh, by his sacrifice on the cross. As John the Baptist proclaimed when he saw Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in this meal, on this evening, reclining at the table with his disciples, Jesus takes the bread of the Passover meal. And instead of saying, this is the bread of affliction, he says, take and eat, this is my body. And Jesus departs from the script that's been reenacted generation to generation. He shows them the bread and he says, this is my body. Jesus is saying, this is the bread of my affliction. The bread of my suffering. Because I am going to lead the ultimate exodus. And bring you the ultimate deliverance from bondage. And he takes one of the cups of wine, one of the four cups... And he says, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is instigating a new custom. The disciples sit listening to him and this isn't the script. This isn't what we do at Passover. Yeah. But he's instigating a new commemoration. And instead of looking back at the Exodus and the blood of a lamb daubed over the doorposts of a house, we look back on the death And the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin once and for all on the cross. The bread that we eat, this wafer that we take, symbolically represents Jesus' body broken for us. And the wine or the cordial that we drink represents his blood which is poured out for us. This is a new custom by which we are to remember the Lord's death until, he says, until he comes again. And this was a deeply significant and defining moment as Jesus shared this meal with them. He said, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. I was thinking tonight as we were singing those songs about the cross and about the sacrifice, and I'm thinking of these songs that we sing that are so familiar to us, And sometimes I think they become mundane to us. And I think the worship of God becomes mundane to us at times. We sing our songs and we go through our practices. I was thinking tonight of the reality of the fact of when we see Jesus face to face, when we join the throngs of angels and the 24 elders and the generations that will worship him, When the glory of God is revealed in all of its splendor and power, we will fall down and we will worship like we have never worshipped. We will see him face to face. And Jesus said as he instigated this memorial, this custom, this new custom, he said, I'm not going to do this again with you until that day that I drink it with you in my father's kingdom, at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And won't that be an amazing moment? That's his second coming and the the full consummation of his kingdom and what the book of Revelation refers to as the wedding supper of the Lamb. So when we take communion together in a few moments, we are following a 2,000-year-old custom which builds on a preceding 1,500-year-old custom. That's 3,500 years of custom and tradition, remembering the deliverance of God and the covering of the blood of the Lamb for our sins. And this we will continue to do until he comes again. But Jesus is not just on this evening that we read about here. He's not just instigating a new custom. He is instigating on the eve of his death a new community. Jesus' death on the cross would usher in a new community. Previously, there were the Jews and there were the Gentiles, and never the twain shall meet. There were male and there were female. There was slave and there was master, and there were divisions. And even in the forms of worship, there was the outer courts for the Gentiles, and then the inner courts for the Jews, and then the inner holy of holies. And there were split communities and separation from God and from one another. But the message of the gospel that comes through Jesus' death and resurrection is found in Galatians 3, where it says, There is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is now neither slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And is not, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ, And it's not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all share the one loaf. We who are many, the Bible says, when we come around the Lord's table, are one body. We are, as I've said before, companions. We share bread together. Communion draws us together as one body body, as one people, and we are to examine ourselves, the Bible says, and we are to forgive others as we ourselves are forgiven as we come to the table of the Lord. Daryl Box states, when we take communion, we proclaim both the Lord's death and our community oneness with fellow celebrants at the table. Our relationship to one another is not an accident, but a product of great design and cost. That theological reality should cause us to relate to one another with great sensitivity. Paul severely rebuked the Corinthian church because they were taking communion in a way that was not communal, that did not honor the body of Christ, that caused separation and division, that was self-centered and selfish. And he had harsh words for them about the way that they were coming around the Lord's table. Now let's be honest, for any of us who have been in church for any amount of time, know that true, true community, real community is hard. I look around our church sometimes and I, I see that the re- reality of that everywhere. There are people that don't necessarily get on that well or there are people that wouldn't choose to be friends. And sometimes we fight and we argue and there are people that feel disconnected sometimes in church and sometimes there are people that feel lonely and there are people that feel like giving up on church and on community because they don't want to try anymore. And there are people that don't try very hard at all and don't commit to community and to friendship. These are people hiding in the shadows and people that come late and leave early, people in their middle years perhaps slowly drifting into isolation. And this is what's been called the mess of congregation and also the glory or the shekinah of congregation. And this is family. I don't know how you get on with your siblings. I've got two siblings. I've got a younger brother and an older sister. And my brother and I used to fight non-stop when we were children. And um, we would, yeah, we would, he would get so angry with me at times that he would chase me through the house with a cricket bat. And um, we caused each other injuries on occasion. And I was, reminded, I was reminded of this when I spoke as the best man at my brother's wedding. And the words of Dylan Thomas, it snowed last year too. I made a snowman and my brother knocked it down. And I knocked my brother down and then we had tea. <laughs> and I've known over the years that that's what it's been like. But he ain't heavy, <laughs> he's my brother. The Passover is a family meal. It's a family meal. We come together as one body. We come together as family. We come together as siblings. And what D.A. Carson says is what binds Christians together is not common education. It's not common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together together because they have been saved by Jesus Christ. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. And when you take the Lord's Supper tonight, you are doing it with brothers and sisters, with family. And this bond is so life-transforming that it creates a basis for unity, as strong as if people had been raised together. I ask you, in light of this meal, in light of this new community that Jesus instigated, to commit yourself afresh to loving the body of Christ, to loving his church, to loving his people, even to loving your spiritual siblings that rub you up the wrong way. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one love for you and many are one body, for we all share the one love. I remember growing up in a church in the north, and I remember a couple of women that fell out very badly over a relationship with a man. And they wouldn't speak to other, each other for years. And if one of them walked up that aisle, the other one walked down that aisle. And they were so alienated from one another. And I remember a visiting speaker coming to our church. And I remember him preaching on the communion. And I remember us coming around the Lord's table. And I remember these two women <laughs> kind of melting in a pool of tears into each other's arms and speaking forgiveness. And reconciliation to one another. This meal marks a new community, and we are companions, and we break bread together. We are one body. Jesus instigated, when he brought us around this table, a new custom to build on an old custom, an ancient custom. He instigated a new community, and, but he also instigated something else. He instigated something called a new covenant, So the instigation of this supper, of of communion, marks this custom, this new custom that we have been following now for 2,000 years. And it represents this new community. But it is a new covenant. Now a covenant is a strange word for many of our modern ears. But what a covenant does is it marries two things. It marries law and relationship. It makes a binding relationship through law. It's a covenantal agreement. It's stronger than just a relationship, and it's stronger than just law. So marriage is a covenant. It's a covenantal relationship between two people, and it's law and it's relationship put together. And there was an old covenant. There was an agreement that God made with his people Law and relationship. And we read about this old covenant in Exodus 24. The, the people had been given the Ten Commandments, the law, and the book of the covenant is read out. And to which the people respond, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And then in Exodus chapter 24, and verses 5 to 8, we read about this. Then he sent young Israelite, Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings, and they sacrificed Young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and he put it into bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people, and they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said and we will obey. Then Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. So it's been sp- sprinkled on the altar. Now, he sprinkles the blood of these bulls on the people, sprinkling blood on them. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so the blood marks this agreement between, it's a, it's a legally binding agreement between God and his people. But they couldn't keep it. They kept saying, we will, keep this, we will keep this covenant. We will keep this agreement. We will keep this covenant. And the blood is sprinkled against the altar and the blood is sprinkled on the people. But they couldn't keep it as much as they tried. And there's blood everywhere. And the blood symbolized two things. It symbolized the seriousness of sin, that it required death. And it, re- and it symbolized the fact that the, the payment of sin is, is death. Death. And Moses says, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. Now as Jesus takes the Passover cup of wine at the Lord's Supper, he says this is the blood of a new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I'm making a new agreement with you. You couldn't ever keep the old one. But there, here's the blood, not the blood of bulls and goats sprinkled on the people, but Jesus holds up this cup and he says, as you take this, this symbolizes the blood of a new agreement that I am making with you and it's my blood that will be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. This is a new day, Jesus says. It's a new agreement. It's a new covenant and the old one is superseded and this one I'll put inside of your hearts and it will be internal rather than external. The old agreement had everything to do with externals. It was smelly, it was horrible, the blood of bulls and goats everywhere, sacrifices, priests, altars, external rituals that never really got to the heart of the problem, the problem of the human heart. And this new agreement is going to be internal. It will be written on your hearts and not on stone tablets. It will be fulfilled by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it will be accomplished by Jesus. Jesus can and will give you a new heart of faith rather than an old heart of unbelief. Dr. Christian Barnard, the first surgeon ever to do heart surgery, ever to do a heart transplant, asked his patient, Dr. Philip Blayberg, would you like to see your old heart? It was in Johannesburg in South Africa And Dr. Bernard reached up to a cupboard, took down a glass container and handed Philip Blayberg his old heart. Philip Blayberg said, so this is my old heart that caused me so much trouble. He handed it back, he turned away and he left it forever. And this in essence is what Christ does for us. He gives us a new heart and God has written his laws on that heart. And this saves Jesus. This is the blood of the new covenant, the new agreement. And we remember this when we take hold of this. We take communion together. So what is our response this evening as we come around the Lord's table? What is our response to this new custom, this new community and this new covenant? Have you forgotten what Jesus has done for you, truly achieved for you? Remember afresh as you take the bread and the drink tonight. This is not our bread of affliction. This is the body of Jesus broken for our sin. This is not the blood of a lamb daubed on a doorpost in Egypt. This is the blood of the Lamb of God who died to take away our shame and guilt and wrongdoing. And have you forgotten or despised the body of Christ? which is his church. Do you feel like giving up on community? When you take the bread and you drink the cup, you are remembering that we who are many are one body. And Jesus loved the church so much that he gave his life for it. And why would you despise his body, his people, your brothers and sisters? And is there someone with whom you need to reconcile? Is there forgiveness for which you need to ask or you need to give? Commit yourself afresh to the community of the saints, this mess and this glory of congregation. And do you need a new heart? Do you need your sins to be forgiven? Do you need to be changed from the inside out Everything that you need has been achieved by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. He has made a way for you to be made right with God. You can ask him for a new heart this evening and for the first time perhaps you can take this bread and cup knowing that this marks a new covenant, a new relationship with God. Give your old, diseased heart to God and let him give you a new heart of faith and purity. There is great power at the cross. There is great power at the Lord's table. I'm going to invite those that are serving us to come forward now. And they're going to serve us at the front. And we're going to get up out of our seats in a few moments. And we're going to walk to the front. And we're going to take the bread. And we're going to take the wine. And in these moments, I want you to reflect on all of those things that I've just said. So as the, as the servers come and stand at the front with the bread and the wine, I'm going to pray for us. Why don't you close your eyes and contemplate afresh. I'm aware as you are that we, we sometimes follow these customs and we can become very complacent with the truth of what we are doing. So let's just take a moment to thank God for this new custom, this new community and this new covenant. And this is a place of forgiveness, a place of a new heart. So whether you need to be forgiven or to speak forgiveness over someone else that's hurt you. The caveat that Jesus taught us was always forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. So, Heavenly Father, tonight, as we come, we thank you for this now ancient custom that has been shared down the years, for thousands of years, by people all over this globe to remember the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And Lord, as we come and as we take this bread, this is not the bread of our affliction, it's the bread of your affliction. It's your body which was broken for us. And we pray that as we take it, you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we take of this cup, this cordial, we thank you, Lord God, for this cup. And we thank you as we were reminded this morning that you drank for us the cup of wrath and you gave us this new cup of a new covenant, a new agreement, the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that we don't have to drink the cup of wrath. We can drink of this cup of new life and a relationship with Jesus. So we come with great gratitude and we remind ourselves that we are part of the wider body of Christ. We are one body that come together around the Lord's table. So help us, Lord, to show grace and mercy to one another and to forgive as we have been forgiven. We ask this in Jesus' name.